Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 86. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. I got to meet some past and future guests in person last weekend, and it was fantastic, not to mention a whole ton of listeners in my house. I was part of the Popcast summer tour for the podcast, The Popcast with Knox and Jamie. It was a blast. On Friday night, my husband Will and I hosted the VIP pre-party right here at our house. We mixed and we mingled and we had a 20-minute live show right in front of my fireplace where Nas got to proclaim his love for the Babysitter's Club and I got to gush about Sweet Valley High. Our home has never been so packed with so many book lovers at once and I just loved having you here and meeting you all and seeing the photos of my very own bookshelves all over Instagram. Although that was kind of strange, but mostly fun. Then on Saturday, I got to take the stage with Knox and Jamie for the pop live event here in Louisville and meet even more of you in person. It was such a blast meeting so many listeners. Thanks so much again for coming out. And if you couldn't be there, we just might do it again sometime. So stay tuned. Readers, we've been asking nicely for your reviews these past weeks and wow, have you delivered. Thank you so much for those. Here are a couple of recent reviews. Megan called this. Now I know what to read next. Here's what she says. Anne and her guests have become the companions I do life with. I listen to Anne while I get ready for work in the morning, when I do the dishes at night, and any chance I get in between. Not only does she provide recommendations for what books to consider reading next, she offers me an entry into the conversation about books and all things literature that I don't have otherwise. What a wonderful podcast. Megan, thanks so much. I'm so glad to do life with you. This one's from Golf Girl. She calls her review, a reading community in your iPhone. I like the sound of that. Here's what she says. After books on the nightstand, bit of sedu, oh, sniff, I hear you. I tried What Should I Read Next? I'll admit it, I was skeptical. Three books you like, one you don't, and Anne will give you three choices of what to read next? Really? I was hooked from the first episode. Anne is a one-woman library of Congress. I swear I think she's read everything. The book discussion is smart and entertaining. I find myself adding books to my TBR from books the guests talk about or books Anne recommends. The production quality is top-notch. Combine the podcast with the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club and the reading community I've been searching for has come to me, probably because they validated my extreme dislike of the goldfinch, despite my in-real-life reading friends telling me otherwise. I look forward to the episode each week because I know I'm going to discover something new to read. Well, that was a little weird to read about myself in the third person, but thank you so much, Golf Girl. I am so glad that you have found your reading community right there in your iPhone. Here's one more from Mozambique. Her subject line is a breath of book scented air for this at home mom. Here's what she says. Before I discovered the What Should I Read Next podcast, I was so busy working part-time from home and taking care of two under two that I either read old favorites, still a good choice, or I randomly picked out books from shelves at the library on the way to check out with my kids. Not always a good choice. Thanks to the What Should I Read Next podcast, which I listen to in snatches throughout my day, my reading list is so long that I'll never be able to catch up. Love this podcast. Thanks for that, Mozambique. And I also love how you imply an impossible to conquer TBR is a good thing. 
Thank you all again for all the great reviews you've been leaving on iTunes. You've added hundreds in the past weeks, and that is a big deal for a show like ours that isn't celebrity sponsored or corporate funded. You can review the podcast absolutely anytime at all, and we'll be grateful for that review. But if you want to get yours in iTunes before we choose our giveaway winners, you have one more week. We're giving away five deluxe reading journal kits. That's the best selling item in our shop at what should I read next podcast.com slash shop one each to five winners. To enter, leave us a review on iTunes. We will randomly choose five winners. Each will win their very own deluxe reading journal kit, and we'll announce those winners in our July 18th episode and share how you can get in touch with us to claim your prize. Thanks so much for taking a couple of minutes to leave that review. It means so much to me and to the show. And of course, I hope you are the winner. In today's episode, I'm talking with Emily Kennard. Emily lives in Washington, D.C., where promoting literacy is literally her job. If she had to describe herself in one sentence, Emily would say that she has a zest for life and for learning, and that she's found books to be the perfect combination of both. She's proud to come from a family where it's completely normal for her grandmother and mom to give her book recommendations, and for her to return the favor right back. And if she sees you reading a book she loves on the plane, watch out, because she won't hesitate to strike up a conversation about it, because there's nothing like a good book for bringing people together. I enjoyed our conversation so much, and I can't wait to share it with you today. Let's get to it. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Oh, well, it is mutual. I'm so glad to talk to you. Where are you this morning? I am sitting in my office in Washington, D.C. And what is it you do there? I work for an education nonprofit, um, and I do external relations. So, Okay, so for those of us who don't speak nonprofit, what do you do on a typical Tuesday afternoon? I am often working with partners, um, national partners around the city, but then across the country as well, working on ways to elevate my nonprofit's mission and the work that we are doing on a day-to-day basis, which involves higher education. So lots of exciting stuff going on. Um, And in my free time, I am a crazed reader. So I like to combine my love of education and reading all into one. What does it mean to you to be a crazed reader, Emily? I think I talk about it um, more often than some of my friends and family members maybe would prefer to, although I have to say that I get my love of reading from my mother. So um, I can always rely on her as someone I can chat with. (laughs) Well, I'm glad there's someone who won't roll their eyes at you like, oh, talking books again. Right. But that's why this is such a great, I mean, this is like my personal heaven because I could talk about books forever and now I have an excuse. Who are your favorite people to talk books with? Oh, I love talking with my friends. Some of them read more than others. Um, But then honestly, I love seeing a stranger reading a book that I love or that I want to read and striking up a conversation. I find I travel quite a bit for work and I find that that is a lot of fun. A great way to connect with people is to talk about books they're reading. So I'll talk with anybody who's willing to listen. <laughs> Can you tell me about a time you connected with a stranger over a book? What was it? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So actually, The Nightingale um, is a book that I am personally, I'm an evangelist for. I absolutely <laughs> love that book. Um, and I have some friends who have opposing views on it. Um, but every time I see someone reading it, I, I say, oh, I love that book. You have to um, give it a chance and, and let me know what you're, you're thinking, because I just think it's such a beautifully written written um, and unique book. And so I was on an airplane with a woman who um, was in the process of reading it and she had just started it. And 
So I hopefully didn't raise her hopes too high because I think I really, really um, tried to sell it. And hopefully she wasn't disappointed. (laughs) I hope not. That book has a lot of passionate fans. I, I loved it. I can understand where some of the romance or the writing can be a little bit cheesy. I thought the ending was beautiful. The writing was beautiful. And there are scenes from that book that have been seared in my mind forever. Um, And I will, I don't like to reread books very often. And that is one that I bought and will be rereading many times over. So that's high praise for you. Oh yeah, definitely. If if I'm willing to reread a book, then I must have really liked it because I have far too many books to read. (laughs) to be repeating. I know what you mean. And yet I'm a rereader. I admire that, but I am a slow reader. So I I really have to be very particular about what I choose to read. Do you think it changes the way you choose your books, knowing that you're a slow reader? Sometimes there are books that I would love to read that are so long that I just know it's such a commitment. Um, And part of my problem with reading is I, because I have so many books I want to read, I'm always thinking about the next book and what's coming next. Um, so sometimes I get antsy. And if I commit to a really long book um, and I'm not fully invested, then I probably don't enjoy it or appreciate it as much as I should because I'm spending so much time on it when I'm thinking about the other books that I need to be getting to. <laughs> so you feel like you're missing out? Right. I can appreciate that. Which is, I, I know there's great books that are long. Um, I just have to be in the right mood and be willing to commit. So Emily, have you always known yourself to be a slow reader? And I've, I subscribe to the theory, I might be fooling myself, that you can move your set point a little bit, but that reading speed is one of those innate things that you, you can only move a little bit in one direction. So I just want the listeners to know that's how I'm approaching it. Like, it's like being tall, like you are or you're not. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah, I think I always have known that um, even in school. And it it's just a matter for me when I read, I really pay attention not just to the plot, but to the sentence structure and the wording. And that matters a lot to me. I, I don't like to highlight my books, but I take pictures um, of quotes. And so I, I really am very, I try to be thoughtful when I'm reading and, and really get something meaningful out of it beyond just the, the basic plot. Um, and as a result, that tends to slow me down, as does pausing to take pictures of my books. I think you're in good company. Do you, are these pictures for your own reference or are they for like Instagram or Twitter? Uh, there's plenty for Instagram, but mostly they're for my own reference. I have a ton that I just, that's just how I save passages that I like or by taking pictures. How do you save them? Um, on my phone and then I'll upload it. And then I also have notes um, on my phone. I write down passages as well and then try and put it in a couple of locations so that I don't lose them all by accident because that would be tragic. (laughs) Yes, that would be awful. Bookworm nightmares. Do you refer to these on a regular basis or when you want to remember something? How do you use those notes once you have them? Yeah, I like to go back. It's actually one of my great pleasures is to go back and after it's been a while to go back and look at passages that I've noted and see why maybe they were meaningful to me and what I think of them now. And obviously they're out of context, so they maybe mean something a little different, but I do. I love to go back and review passages and just look at, oh, things that moved me that I I didn't realize um, or had forgotten about that 
I had really um, been touched by in the past. So I just enjoy that, those reminders. How often do you think you do that? Oh, it varies every couple of months. I mean, I'm always reading and um, focused on the book either that I'm reading or the one that's coming next. But on occasion, um, I remember, oh, I have all of these pictures on my phone and I like to scroll through. I also, because I travel so much on the plane, if I'm not reading, I'm often sorting through my my photos and deleting. So I often will go through and then look at passages and remember things that I had marked previously. Emily, how do you think the rhythms of your profession, it sounds like it involves a lot of travel, um, the field you work in and of the place you live an interesting location in this country. How do you think those affect your reading life? I think, well, first of all, as far as location, I think Washington DC, I saw maybe it was a couple of years ago, was ranked one of the most well-read cities in the nation. I don't know if that's true, but I see people constantly walking with books, on public transportation with books. And again, for me, that's a great way to have conversations with people and to um, gain insights or maybe I'll wonder about, oh, I wonder what that person's like if they're reading this book and if they're enjoying it. And I think there's that saying that seeing a um, person reading a book is like a book recommending a person. Um, and that's very true for me. I, I just am very observant of that. Um, so that's been a lot of fun um, when I'm walking around the city or traveling around the city and seeing people are constantly reading. That is encouraging to me. Um, and then work related. So I do I do work in education and education is my passion, um, literacy specifically. And so I have just always strived to find ways to incorporate my passion for books and reading into what I do on a daily basis, which is essentially focused on making sure that people are receiving quality education. And I think a critical piece of that is being able to read and have access to the stories that I personally have come to love so much. I, I think everybody should have that opportunity. So it all comes together really nicely. I think I'm really in a nice place. It's fun to be in DC. It's fun to be in this work. And it's a fun time to be a reader. Elaborate on that a little bit about this being a fun time to be a reader. Well, there's so many things. There's so many um, exciting topics out there right now. And, and um, people are so engaged in so many important conversations. And so I feel like people are really open to discussing those various topics, including through books. And I am excited about, I, I tend to shy away from reading news articles and, and things like that. Um, I, I tend to prefer to get my reading in, in books. And I just think with all of the hot topics that are going on, everything is covered in a new book that's coming out. So you can always find a book um, about something that you're interested in. And I just think that's really fun because I'm a very curious person. I'm always looking to just gain more knowledge for the sake of more knowledge. And I could pick anything randomly and there'd be a new book out about it. And I think that's a lot of fun. That's exciting. Are we going to see these interests and current events reflected in your favorites? Uh, yeah, most likely. I think so. I have, I always say I have a very eclectic group or set of passions and they're very random and wide ranging. So um, that might be reflected a little bit. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear. You know how this works, Emily. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate and what you've been reading lately. And then we'll talk about what you should read next. 
Are you ready to talk about your favorites? I am. Okay. What's book one? So my first book, and this is my absolute favorite book of all time, and I know that that's not the rule. It doesn't have to be, but this is my absolute favorite book of all time, is Testament of Youth by Vera Britton. And this is a World War One memoir, um, famous because it's from the perspective of a woman. And World War One. frankly, there's a lot of World War Two books out there. There's fewer on World War One, and this was my first foray into that genre. And I was completely moved. I, I found it incredibly inspiring and um, heartbreaking and powerful. And it is one that when I say I take pictures of passages, I usually will take three or four in a book. And I have taken pictures of 20 plus pages, full pages out of this book. I just think the writing is phenomenal. And the experiences that Vera went through are incredible. Um, and I will be rereading this book over and over again. How did you first find that? It's not a title that a lot of people are familiar with in my experience. Yeah. And so I'm so ashamed to say, because I am totally one who believes in read the book before you see the movie. I randomly happened upon the movie, which came out about, I don't know, two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. And I went and saw it having no idea what it was about. And not until the very end of the movie does it say this is based on the best-selling memoir by Vera Britton. And there's in downtown D.C., there's literally a bookstore two blocks away from the movie theater I was at. And so I left the theater and went to the bookstore and bought it and immediately started reading it and fell in love with it. I don't think anybody's going to argue with you seeing the movie first if that's what has happened next. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I tend to shy away from that because I don't like to have the book pre-casted for me. But Vera was a real person. So I was able to do that research ahead of time and then actually picture her rather than the movie characters, which was helpful. What is it about this book that made it so important to you? You know, it's interesting because I found Vera to be, I, I call her a kindred spirit, which is interesting because she obviously went through vastly different experiences than I did and things that I will never go through. But at the most fundamental human level, she was so relatable and she cared about the things that I care about. So, for example, education, she dreamed of going to Oxford, which in her time for women was not something that people did. And even if they did, they didn't get degrees. It was just kind of like an audit. Um, and she dreamed of that. And and so at the beginning of the book, this isn't a spoiler, she, she gets accepted to Oxford. Um, but then later on, the war hits and she gives up that dream. She sacrifices that dream to um, serve because she feels called to do that. And I find that incredibly inspiring. She's a feminist. Um, she's a very strong-willed woman, um, and she has strong opinions, and she articulates them so beautifully that I just felt like I connected with her on the most fundamental level, even though we came from such vastly different backgrounds. Emily, is this a book that you have recommended to your fellow readers or that you've gotten to discuss with other readers? I'd be interested in hearing what's happened there. My gosh, yes. I have tried every person. I'm sure my friends are so sick of hearing about this book um, because I talk about it constantly. And it's a hefty one. It's, I think, maybe 500 pages or so. Um, so it's one that people say, oh, I hadn't heard about it and I'll read it, but I don't know many people who have gotten to it yet. Um, I have two uh, friends who, um, did take me up on my recommendation and 
validated my <laughs> opinion. They loved it and thought it was really good. So that made me happy. But I am dying to find more people who are talking about or who have read this book so I can discuss it with them. Okay. Listeners, help a reader out. Yeah. <laughs> Highly recommend it. Emily, tell us about another book you love. Yeah. So these other two are books that I, I do love. I don't know that they rank in any particular order, but the next one is called Empire Falls by Richard Rousseau. And I actually read this. I've only read it once and I read it maybe five or so years ago. So I honestly don't remember all of the details. I just remember how it made me feel and how I could not put this book down. It's basically about a big group of people in this small town who have a whole bunch of crazy issues and <laughs> problems. And I love books like that. I love books that make me feel like, okay, other people are a little crazy or goofy too. And I, I love being able to relate to the flaws of others. Um, and so this book is, it's very, it's funny in parts. It's very dramatic and serious in parts. Um, but it's just, again, it's one that I felt like I related to the characters and I was really invested in their lives, even though in this case, they're all fictional. Do you remember what made you pick that up? I honestly do not. I think I might have been, I may have been at the bookstore browsing and seen it because now I see it all the time um, at the bookstore because I, I um, obviously love it and know about it, but I, I don't even rem remember what it was that prompted me to pick that book up, but I found it browsing, um, I'm assuming, and, and gave it a shot and was very glad that I did. I've never read this one, but I have read, oh, it's been a long time. I've read a, a book about writing fiction and I haven't written any listeners. So like, don't go looking for it. Um, but I did read a book about writing fiction. And I remember that Empire Falls was his first example about this is how to do it right. This is how to really? wrap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I've kind of, I've wanted to read it ever since, but there's so much else to read, Emily, you know, and for some reason I like, I've never as popular as his books are like, they're always bestsellers, Richard Russo's. I didn't know anybody, or at least I'm not aware of knowing anyone who's actually read it because for a while I was, was asking around, have you read Empire Falls? Have you read Empire Falls? But in this fiction writing book, uh, I remember the author and I can picture the cover, but I can't remember its name, but I remember the author talking about, this is how he collapses the timeline. This is how he makes characters play, uh, multiple roles so that the significance of the characters to each other is heightened. And this is why, like when the big moment comes, it really works. Like that is so interesting. Well, I'm going to have to see if I can find that book because I never thought about it quite in that way. But I mean, I guess maybe that's why I loved it. I, I do think it's a great book. I gave it five stars on Goodreads. So that says something. <laughs> well, I'll have to look it up and put it in show notes because I do not. I can picture the cover, but you're probably not getting that image from my brain, are you? No, sorry. It's really a shame. <laughs> really a shame. Emily, what's another book you love? Another book I love that I read more recently, I read this last fall, is called A House in the Sky by Amanda Lindhut. I, I think I've said that correctly. Have you read it? 
I've read, I've probably read like 20 pages, not because I didn't enjoy it, but because it was not what I needed to be reading at the time. But I keep hearing amazing things. Yes. So, so it is very, it's very intense. It's a heavy book. It's about a girl who, it's a true story. It's a memoir of a woman who grew up um, in a less than ideal situation. And so she used to go to the five and diamond by national geographics to escape her reality. And then she always dreamed of traveling. And so she does, she grows up and um, travels for work. But then when she's in, I believe it's Somalia, um, like on the second day, she's kidnapped um, along with one of her colleagues. And it's about her experience. And it is, it's brutal. And, and in, in parts, it's graphic, but it was gripping. I woke up before work, which I would never do for <laughs> um, almost anything else. Um, but I woke up early before work at 5am to read it because I just couldn't put it down. It reads like a thriller, but it's, I mean, it's a true story and what she went through is remarkable. Do you remember what inspired you to pick that one up? So my grandmother, I always attribute my love of reading to my mother and my grandmother. And my grandmother is always giving me recommendations. And she, I had never heard of this book and she recommended it to me. And so I bought a copy and read it and was happily surprised. Were you at all intimidated by the subject matter? Uh, not really. I don't, I don't tend to be too um, concerned about that. I actually take heat from a lot of my friends and they think that I really love depressing storylines, both in movies and books. And it's not that I take some weird joy in that. It's that I find that inspiring, I guess, that people go through. I, I find reading about people's adversities um, and and really remarkable challenges and their ability to overcome those. I find that incredibly inspiring. Okay. I can see that. Emily, what's a book that you found wasn't for you? So I hated, <laughs> which I, I feel bad saying that, but I will never read this book again. I hated Atonement by Ian McEwen. And it was my first Ian McEwen. And I know so many people love him. So I remember thinking when I finished that book, wow, like, I really don't know if I'm drawn to read any of his other books after reading this book. I really did not enjoy it. Okay, let's tread carefully so that we don't spoil it for people who still want to persevere and read it after hearing you talk about it like this. Okay, so what I really want to know is there is a shift in the narrative near the end of the book, not quite the very end, but near the end of the book, where you find out that what you think has been happening has not been happening. And he lost a lot of people there. It wasn't that they didn't think it was well written, but they felt swindled. Right. Do you resonate with that? I actually resonate more with, I don't think it was poorly written, but I don't think it was executed in the way I would have preferred. So not even not talking about the ending and what you're referring to, just in general, I feel like the plot itself was a great idea. And, and this is one of my pet peeves with reading is a plot that is so promising and I can see where it's trying to go. And then I just feel like it doesn't execute. And I was never drawn into the story. It was really kind of painfully slow. Um, 
and just difficult for me to care about the characters. And so more so than anything that happens at the end, it was just a broader, I really didn't love the way he executed the plot, which I could have, which I think could have been a really great plot otherwise. So you love the premise. I do. Which basically three young lives turn on on one hand delivered note, but the wrong note. So that's that's an intriguing setup to you. Right. And the interaction, I mean, the way other people's decisions can influence other people's lives. I totally got that. I totally bought into that. I loved that premise. I just, for whatever reason, the way it was written, I could not engage and I just was not emotionally connected. Okay. So great premise. And then you got bored. Yep. That's right. Is that like a cardinal sin for you? Like whatever you do, do not bore me as a reader? It doesn't, not necessarily, because I actually think, like, for example, Testament of Youth, it's very long and wordy. Um, and I think some people could see that as boring. I, I don't get bored easily. It's just, I think my, and it's me needing to manage expectations. I, I have an expectation based on the plot or based on what I've heard. And if that expectation isn't met, I guess I'm a... I'm a harsh, unforgiving critic. Okay, so if novels can be plot-driven or character-driven, not that we don't have both, but work with me here. It sounds like you want great characters. Yes. Okay, you don't just care about like, oh, what an interesting sequence of events if you don't care about the people those events are happening to. That's right. Okay, that's very helpful because, you, I mean, you told me you had eclectic taste and you were not kidding. So, which is amazing. It makes it wonderfully fun to talk books with a reader, but it makes it a little bit terrifying to try to recommend yeah. them. So <laughs> trying to consolidate a little bit here. Emily, what are you reading right now? So I just finished um, a book by Philip Meyer called The Sun. Yes. Which I really enjoyed. I have, I've always found um, American, the American West fascinating and um, Native American history fascinating and the founding of this country and all of that. So I just finished that book and really, really enjoyed it. Um, I loved the writing in that book. I thought it was beautiful. Um, and then I just started March by Geraldine Brooks, which Little Women is like my precious baby. So I am <laughs> I am so cautious and I'm a little skeptical as I'm starting out, but I'm hoping since I've heard such good things that I'll really enjoy it. Emily, is there anything you want more of or that you want to be different in your reading life? I would love to, like I said earlier, the way that I am constantly thinking about the next book and what's coming next, I wish I had more books that just totally enthralled me in a way that like A House in the Sky did or Testament of Youth did so that I wasn't thinking about all the books I need to be reading and enjoying the book I was reading. And it, I feel like it's just been a while since I've read a book that's really gripped me in that way. Okay. I have ideas for you. They are all over the place and we will talk about them right after the break. Okay. Well, we've talked a little bit about what you're attracted to and it sounds like you see a lot of that yourself. Like you love to hear stories about interesting people who are in difficult situations, who find themselves facing adversity, not because you like to read about people getting slammed down, but because you're really inspired by 
like the resiliency of the human spirit and the way that people can rise above their circumstances. And exactly right. Okay, wonderful. Now, geographically, you're kind of all over the place. Do you have just trying to narrow down the options for you? Um, is there any part of the world you're particularly interested in? Or is it not a coincidence that one of your favorites was in Maine and one was in Britain, one was in Africa? Yeah, you know, I don't think that is a coincidence. I really am interested in all of the above. All right. I'm going to start throwing titles at you, if that's okay with you. Sounds great. Okay. For book one, what what do you know about Winter's Bone by Daniel Woodrell? I have heard of it, and that is it. Okay. Have you seen the movie? I have not. Okay. This is... Uh, Local girl to me, Jennifer Lawrence's big breakthrough um, is a really poor teenager living in the Ozarks. And I remember reading all this interesting stuff just because she was a local girl that I wouldn't have before about how if you want to win an Oscar, you have to campaign for it. And I read some interview that said, like, what do you mean campaign? Why does she have to campaign? And it was something like, well, she's from Kentucky. She has to prove she was really acting and not just living, living out her real life on screen. And so all the local people were like, um, have they never been to Louisville? Like we're, we're not all like, this isn't really how it works here, but I'm from the Midwest. So I completely, yeah, I relate to the Louisville folks. <laughs> well, it's a great movie if a little cringe inducing in places, but read the book first. And I know you will. So Jennifer Lawrence's character. And from this minute forward, I will stop referring to the movie. Okay. But I know a lot of people, it won an Oscar. Like it, raked in like tons of money. I know a lot of people have seen that more so than I've read the book. Um, so a lot of people will do the movie before the book in this case. And yeah, now we're going to pretend the movie doesn't exist. Okay. So we have a 16 year old girl named Re, daughter of a very poor family in the Ozark mountains and meth is prevalent in the community. Her parents cooked it. Can you tell I'm a nice suburban girl here? <laughs> But then the sheriff's deputy shows up at her front door saying that his father um, skipped bail and they are about to lose their home if he doesn't appear at his next court date. But he's disappeared. And so this is the story of Re in very difficult circumstances and solely because she has two young brothers that she has become like a mother to. She has to find him. Like whether he's alive or if he's dead, she has to prove it so that she can get this charge cleared so that they don't lose their livelihood because there is nowhere for them to go and nothing for them to do if that happens. And it's a story about a girl who is forced to be um, astoundingly resourceful in really, really horrible circumstances. And I think it has that, the kind of plot where some people will be like, oh, that's so gritty and depressing. And you would be like, I know. Isn't it amazing what she managed to do? That sounds great. Yeah, I think that sounds great. And, you know, I I had heard of the movie, but I didn't realize it was a book. So I am excited to read that. That sounds great and right up my alley. Fantastic. Okay. Book two. It's nonfiction. And it's not about one person, but I think this could be really for you. It's called Behind the Beautiful Forevers, Life, Death, and Hope in a Mumbai Undercity. Do you know anything about this? Yes. So I own this book, but like most of the books I own, I haven't got 
to reading it yet. So I know exactly what you're talking about, but I actually don't remember the premise. Well, it's nonfiction and it's based on heavy, heavy research. Like Catherine Boo has won a Pulitzer for this kind of investigative journalism. So what she's doing here is she's trying to give a, a realistic, like you can smell it on the page account of what life is like in a Mumbai slum. And I've heard some people say that there's an author's note at the end of the book. You should really read that first because there's some really interesting background information on how this book came to be written. So I would take that tip. So what she does is she's tackling the issues that the city is facing as a whole. Um, but she weaves stories of individuals through there. Like you hear about Abdul, the garbage sorter, who's a really resourceful Muslim teenager who has found a way to make some sort of living, but then he gets admired in a tragedy that he did not cause or really have any part in but that he gets sucked into. And then she tells a story about strong women who have overcome rural poverty to come to the city. And then, then tragedy strikes them in a way that you are not expecting, but it's totally depressing um, in part because it is very realistic, but there are so many glimmers of hope and resilience, which like the more you read it, the more you think, Oh, like, that's what it takes to live, to live in the city, the way she's describing it. And, um, it's so rich with detail. It's meticulously researched. There are so many great one-liners that you'll want to photograph. Like much of what was said did not matter. And that much of what mattered could not be said at the moment. You think you're going to live more, you're going to die. Wow. So is this, is it set up in chapters? Like each chapter is focused on a person or what is the structure? So what she does is she lets you experience the city through the eyes of her characters. And I've heard a lot of people say that when they sat down to read it, they had to like keep checking, like, is this a novel? Because it doesn't read you like, like your typical nonfiction book. And I knew that going in, so I didn't make that mistake, but or I didn't have that confusion. But I always think that's a good sign when people think a nonfiction book reads like a novel. So Emily, why I like it for you is that while it is certainly really sad and really depressing in, in cases, there are characters that you can root for. There are ones that you will really, really hate, but you're supposed to. Um, she makes them all human and very, very readable. And I think it's really amazing how she can really make you care about what for both of us is another part of the world and about issues that don't always impact us in any meaningful way in our day-to-day -day lives. And I also like for you that a few people who do manage to find some measure of success in these very difficult circumstances do so because of education. Oh, I love that. And I love the idea that you just mentioned of understanding circumstances that otherwise you may never have exposure to. I am all about that. And I, when it comes to reading, especially, so that sounds perfect. Okay. I like the sound of that. Okay, Emily, for book three, have you ever read Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry? I haven't. That one is also on my list, but I have not. I also like that for you for similar reasons. So we have talked about that on the podcast before, so I may owe you a bonus pick, but um, or the listener is a bonus pick. But 
this is definitely here. Let me see what what era we're living in. So Winter's Bone is contemporary-ish, um, as is Behind the Beautiful Forevers. Now we're going back to, I think McMurtry is writing the mid-19th century. This book had to be recommended to me many times before I finally wanted to give it a shot. I had always assumed, probably based on the title alone, that it was the kind of book that my grandfather, who adored Westerns by authors like Louis L'Amour, I think was his favorite. I thought it was the kind of book he would love it wasn't for me, nothing to think about here, the end. But then my cousin happened to mention in passing that like, oh, I've been meaning to read this forever and I finally did and it was amazing. And I was like, wait, you read that? Why? What? So I think I started thinking about it then. And then um, I don't know if it was podcast listeners or blog readers who finally said, I mean, you got to give this a shot. So this is actually the first book in a series. Well, it depends on how you look at it. It's the first book that McMurtry published in a series, including Streets of Laredo, Dead Man's Walk, Comanche Moon. But according to the chronology, it's third. But I haven't read any of those others, despite the fact that I really loved those. Oh, yeah. I did not know that about this book. Yeah. So that's okay, because you haven't even read Lonesome Duff yet. So you can read it and see what you think and then decide from there if you want to invest, you know, a few thousand pages more. But because this is, this is a long book. But I think based on what you like, you would find it worth it. Because the good thing about a long book, and you're not opposed to long books if you're loving them, right? Absolutely. That's completely right. It's just that itchy feeling, why am I spending 800 pages here when I could be reading something I like more, is that you have so much space to build up really great multidimensional nuanced characters when you have all those words to do it with. So... McMurtry, I really admire the way he made me care about this, this setting that I wouldn't have thought was maybe for me. So he takes you to a cattle drive on the Texas frontier. It starts in the town of Lonesome Dove. That's where it takes its title from. And there are heroes and cowboys. Actually, there are some cowboys who are heroes and there are uh, villains and there are Indians and there are prostitutes and there are fine women and there are settlers and there are Native Americans. And they, so many of them are coming together to go on this cattle drive and it does not go smoothly. And it's a big epic journey tale and I think it made me cry. It must have made me cry. I love that. Um, <laughs> it's 945 pages. At the beginning of the book, I thought, why should I care about these cowboys? And halfway through, I was just like, oh, what's going to happen next? When can I read my book again? Um, I feel like this is maybe the place where I should stop before I keep telling you about it more and more so that you want to read it less and less. But in a nutshell... Really interesting setting. It's okay if you don't think you care about cowboys because he makes you care. Um, really well-drawn, interesting characters. Not the sort you probably encountered before in fiction. He puts them through interesting circumstances and uh, really tugs at your heartstrings. But it's a cowboy story. So like, not at all in a sentimental, melodramatic way. He earns it. How does that sound? That sounds great. I think that... Sounds wonderful. I'll plan on reading that ASAP, actually. 
Okay. And because we have talked about Lonesome Dove on the podcast before, but we've talked about this one too, I feel like a lot during this summer season. So that's okay. Maybe two halves make a whole. Have you ever read West with the Night by Beryl Markham? No, I have never even heard of that. Okay. Have you heard of Circling the Sun by Cheryl, um, Cheryl, Cheryl McLean? What's her name? Yes, I have. Okay. So this is the autobiography of the woman who inspired that story. Oh, wow. Feminist, pilot, racehorse trainer, um, lived in Kenya in the 20s and 30s, charted her own path, um, had the kind of life that people wanted to write novels about, and super inspiring and well-spoken of by uh, people who love um, books about feminism, people who love books about aviation, people who love books about Africa, people who live who love autobiographies, always held up as a well-written, engaging, completely fascinating, and totally unique memoir. Memoir? Autobiography. We should go with autobiography. That's fascinating. And, you know, I've heard so much about Circling the Sun. I had no idea. I mean, I just haven't read much about it, so I didn't realize that it was based on a a real person. Yes. And this is in her own voice. If you want to read both, a lot of people are, are ending up reading circling the sun first, just because when a book comes out, it often gets lots of buzz. But if you're only going to read one, make it this one. Okay. Well, and I love the idea. It's from her perspective. I think. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And she has a great voice. Fabulous. Okay. Emily of those, well, however many books, What do you think you'll read next? I think I'm going to read Lonesome Dove. You know, that one has been on my radar, but like very peripherally. Um, But I am so interested in, like I said, Western, Westerns and um, Native American history and and cowboy, all that stuff. That sounds very appealing. And I recently um, have heard some good things about this book. So I think I'm going to go to the bookstore and, and buy it. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Great. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. Well, thanks for talking books with me. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emily today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Emily and to let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 86. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Pay attention to that Instagram feed, the What Should I Read Next account, because we have a special mailbag episode in the works. This is your opportunity to ask me anything at all. I'll be taking questions on Instagram and via our newsletter. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.